everyone. Flee for your lives. Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. The biggest. Tell them, Robin. Holy superlatives, Batman. It's really exciting. Soon, very soon, Batman and I will be batapulting right out of your TV sets and onto your theater screens. That's right, Robin. Our first full-length motion picture feature in color opens a whole new world of thrills. <laughs> more space on land, sea, and in the air to challenge the most bataclysmic collection of super criminals ever. Their minimum objective must be the entire world. And here are the dastardly villains, the Catwoman. You're going to see the perfect crime when I get Batman in my claws. The Joker. Have you heard this one? It'll kill you, Batman. <laughs> the Penguin. There are two eggs this wily bird is going to scramble. Batman and Robin. <laughs> the Riddler. Question. Who's going to make the feathers fly and knock Batman and Robin out of the sky? See, the new weapons in the Bat Arsenal combat the forces of evil. The Batcopter. The exploding man-eating shark. Holy sardine! The relentless Megaton Magnet. The unholy quartet secret submarine. Fire one! Fire one! The Batboat, in action. The Deadly Disintegrator. The Attack on the Batcave. Holy hallucination! You'll blast through the skies on these mad, manned missiles. And you'll be with me, Robin, at the Bat Scanner, eavesdropping on Batman's romance. And you'll shudder at the death-dealing Polaris missiles. Brace yourself, Robin. This could be the end. And that's just a sample of the exciting exploits ahead in our first feature motion picture. Holy memoranda, folks. Make a note not to miss it. Good thinking, Robin. Welcome to another episode of the Film and Water Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Network of Podcasts. I am your host, Rob Kelly, and as you might be able to tell from my voice, I am uh, super duper sick, so this episode is sponsored by NyQuil. This week, we are going to be talking about the 1966 Batman, the movie, or just called Batman, I guess, depending on uh, your point of view. And joining me is a new guest. Uh, this is Dan Greenfield, editor of the 13thDimension.com. Dan. Thank you for doing the show, man. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, Dan uh, is the biggest Batman fan that I know. I mean, I love the show, but Dan's fandom of Batman takes the whole thing to a whole new level. So he was the one who suggested that we talk about uh, the movie in conjunction with this big uh, 
series of posts going on going on over at 13thdimension.com celebrating the 15th anniversary of the show, which, of course, uh, was in January of 1966. Unbelievable. The show's 50 years old. Um, like I said, this is the 1966 movie, which was released between the first and second seasons of the show. It was originally designed by producer William Dozier as the sort of promotional effort to get a series made. And for whatever reason, 20th Century Fox thought it was cheaper, more economical to just go right to series. So they went right to series. And then it ended up making the movie, like I said, in between the first and second season. So, uh, Dan, like, why do you love Batman the movie so much? Why do you love the series so much? Well, um, you know, the movie, uh, it, it, it's interesting because um, for me, the movie, it, I mean, of course, with anything when you're talking about this show or the movie, you're talking about it's, there's, there's a nostalgia quality to the whole thing. And for me specifically with the movie, um, it was an event when I was a kid. I grew up in the in you know in New Jersey and in the part of New Jersey where all of the New York stations were your stations. And on uh, on Channel Seven after school, there was something called the Four Thirty Movie, and that was a it was Monday through Friday, and basically it was movies cut down into an hour and a half with commercials. So I mean, you're you're talking like a really, I mean, they used to really chop movies, you know, all get out, but they would have theme weeks and. My two favorite weeks were Apes Week, when they did <laughs> Planet of the Apes, and they did Superhero Week, and they would do the Batman movie, and if memory serves, they would, they would maybe not always, but sometimes they would do it like in two parts, and it was like a thing. If that was on, then all bets were off, and the only thing that you kind of had to decide was whether or not I was going to switch over to Channel 11 during the commercial to go back to the regular show and then when, you know, trying to time it right so I can go back to channel seven and not miss anything for the movie. And, um, and so, you know, there, there was that, it has that quality to it. It was something very special. Um, I remember getting to see it in the theater when I was a kid. Really? Wow. In, in re-release, not obviously not the right, first right, time because right. yeah. it came out before I was born, but I was born in 67. So I was, I was born during the, the latter part of the series but yeah, it was in re-release early '70s, uh, and it was one of the very first movies I actually got to go to by myself with a friend. Because in those days, you could be a seven-year-old and go to the movies, and that wasn't really like nobody was going to call children's services. <laughs> so, um, so I remember that, and it, it always stayed with me because you had all four villains. Um, there was even even though it's still very much of the show. There's that larger-than-life quality to it. You've got all the different vehicles and the set pieces, and it just works really, really well as a movie because it also just keeps going. And, you know, it's, 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 it's really well-paced. It's, it's funny, but it's also – there's a real swashbuckling sense of adventure with the movie too. So I just think it really works, and it's one of the high-water marks for the whole series. Uh, yeah, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, although I know anybody who's listening to this who hasn't, uh, the plot, the super simple version of the plot is basically four diabolical supervillains, which are, of course, the Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler, and the Catwoman, uh, Cesar Romero, Burgess Meredith, Frank Gorshin, and standing in for Julie Newmar, Lee Merriweather. They join forces to take over the world via a weapon that can dehydrate people, reducing them to dust. Uh, after they kidnap uh, Commodore Schmidlap, uh, they turn their sights on Bruce Wayne via Catwoman going undercover as the Soviet reporter Miss Kitka in a plot to lure Batman into their clutches. And they end up turning the weapon on the World Security Council. And it's up to, of course, Batman and Robin to stop them and restore world order. Uh, yeah, I mean, they really did kind of bring out 
all the stops for the movie in terms of getting all four of the biggest villains together? Because that is something the show never did. Right. I mean, they did have a couple of cases where you had your team-ups. You had your Joker-Penguin team up in the second season, and you had Joker-Catwoman in the third season, but it was... And that was Eartha Kitt, because Julie Newmar was out of the picture by then. And in this case, you did have, as you mentioned, Lee Merriweather in for Julie Newmar also, because as was often the case with, with I mean, really, almost all of these actors who, were, who played the villains and guest stars, they were all working character actors. I mean, if you, if you turn on MeTV or any of these retro TV stations, and you turn on Perry Mason, half the people who were on Batman at one point or another were on Perry Mason or were on Star Trek, or were on some other show, or maybe they were in a film, or maybe they were doing Broadway, or, or what have you. So you had a case where Julie Newmar was out of the picture, and so you had Lee Merriweather. So even then, they didn't have like the original four members of the cast that they were able to get together. But it is the only time you saw anything of, of that scope, and they, they never did repeat uh, having all four of them at the same time. Yeah, I mean, if you watch the movie, I mean, there's a couple things about this movie in particular that I, that I enjoy that I think... Uh, it has over the series in a couple of uh, a couple instances, but is that you really do get the sense that Romero and Meredith and uh, Gorshin in particular are really enjoying playing off one another. I mean, they seem positively giddy to be playing off of each other, which you wouldn't necessarily think because you could see that those actors might you know not want to share screen time with one another, but they seem to really be into it. I mean, they are like, as, I mean, none of them were subtle on the show because nothing about Batman was subtle, but they really seem to be ramping it up to like, you know, 12 or something on the, on the scale because they're just, they're just great. They're like bouncing off the sets in, in their maniacal glee. Yeah, they, they have great chemistry together. I mean, they really, they really do work well as a, as a, you know, as a, as a, as an ensemble because it really is an ensemble piece where we're talking about the the villains, and I think part of that is that that you do get the sense that especially with the guest stars, especially at that time, after the fir- you know during the first season when Batmania had really taken hold, and you know it's it's you know now we, you know you know it, we, you know we live at a time where where everything is divided up into websites and. And you know YouTube channels and and you know the, for the you know largely good measure the democratization of media at the time everything was funneled through networks and through the movie theaters and you had this this Batmania thing that was going on then that you only see every once in a while show up in popular culture now where everybody's into something and the show was a was an actual overnight sensation it was the number one show and so they rushed the movie into production. But the people who were on the show wanted to be on the show. I mean, all the stories go that all of these different actors, you know, contacted their agents or their agents contacted the producers and said, we want to be on the show. We want to be on the show. And they got to the point where, you know, the first season, you've got a lot more of the more comic book villains. But by the second season, you know, which was the first, the only the, the only full season with two part episodes, you have all of these different guest stars and they were basically tailoring the villains to the various, you know, whoever was available. Um, and then you have people like Burgess Meredith, who is like the other end where they always just had a, they just had a script ready for him whenever he was available because they loved working with him so much and he obviously enjoyed doing it so much. And so you hear a lot of the stories that were written later about how many of the guest stars really enjoyed doing it. And, and these guys definitely seem to, you know, to get a kick out of it. And, you know, for, for someone like Julie Newmar, who had another career, or Lee Merriweather who had another career, so bitterness. I mean, if you, if you ever talk to any of them now, those who are left, 
there's a real sense of satisfaction with with what they did, even if someone like Adam West and Burt Ward kind of went through that period where they were typecast, and for Burt Ward, actually, who this was really his only acting role. A lot of people don't even realize that he didn't have much of a career afterward. Um, but for the guest stars, this was like, I get the impression it was like a day off. Yeah, it certainly seems like an extraordinarily fun gig. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I was just, I was re-watching uh, the Mad Hatter episodes. He's one of my favorite villains in the, the first two that they did. And David Wayne, who was always one of my favorite actors, he just looks like he's having the time of his life with those you know, lines. The funny thing about him is that, and, and I am a, also a big fan of the Mad Hatter episodes, and I wish we'd seen more of them, but in later years, he really resented the show because he said he had done all of these other things and all anybody ever came up to the street. Oh, to, no, no. He, he's like, that's, the, that's what they know me for? Is, 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 you know. but, he, but you're right, as he's doing it, um, he seems like he's having the time of his life. And I think it's really an opportunity for them to really just like you said, there's there's no subtlety involved. It's it's all scenery chewing, and if you're an actor, um, the opportunity to just do that with abandon is is probably it's probably liberating. I would imagine. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Now, I mean, specifically to the movie. I mean, one of the things that I think is interesting about this is you know the the the, the Batman tone is kind of tricky because it's right on that line of where everybody's taking everything so seriously and then it's so goofy. Right. And yet you would think that the idea of maybe an almost two-hour-long episode of Batman would be too much of a good thing. I mean, you could kind of be like, you know, it's like those sitcoms that are good for a half hour, and then when they try and do a 90-minute special, it just sort of flops there. But uh, but Batman the movie seems to work pretty well. Uh, I mean, it, it moves at a good pace. It never seems to kind of wear out its welcome, which is pretty amazing, is it? Considering how absurd everything is that's going on. And this movie definitely, again, much like the the thing with the villains, ramps up the absurdity. I mean, within the first ten minutes of this movie, you've got Adam West dangling from a rope, punching a rubber shark. Well, see that I think that's it right there, and it's they don't waste any time. And and the thing. I mean, they knew that they were going to have a short runtime. I guess I think it's like an hour and 40, I think is the roughly yeah. speaking. And it really is the perfect length for a movie like this. Um, because since you have the different characters and you have the different, you know, you have a number of set pieces. and You have all of the, you know, everybody gets their bit. There, You have the, the Riddler has his moment and the Penguin has his and the Joker and Catwoman obviously has a lot to do in the movie. Um in in a way, and I and, and you know, your listeners will laugh and I'm not comparing them per se, but it's the best paced of all of the Batman movies. <laughs> it, it really is. I mean, I'm not saying it's better, obviously, than what Christopher Nolan did or what Tim Burton did. I'm not. I, the, the, the tones are so different that you can't really compare them. Other than to say that there is no dead time during this movie. Um, even the scenes where where Adam West was Bruce Wayne, where he's not Batman and he's he's out of the suit and which is something he wanted more screen time as Adam West during the movie. Um, but those scenes really work because everything moves the plot along. They're funny. They're charming. You know, you actually, and, and you know, at the time, mid '60s, seeing a guy in, in a tuxedo, you know, punching people out was something that was a very, you know, that was very popular. So even, even those moments, they don't feel like, you know, lag times where like, where's Batman? It's almost like an American James Bond where he's got the, uh, the the transmitter under his elbow and he's right. on a date and he's romancing the beautiful woman and then everything you know goes from there. But they never they never let you 
ever escape the fact that you're in a Batman movie. And there's no wasted time. There's no origin story. It's just you're right in, and you're right. Within 10 minutes, he's punching out a rubber shark. They, they, you know, we, we're introduced to all of the villains in very short order. And right away, we get it. We know what the, you know, we're pretty short order. We know what the, um, what the plot actually is and what their plan is to take over the world. And then, of course, the finale is great. Um, you know, that fight on the, on the sub um, is one of the best fights they ever staged for the series. Yeah, I mean, they really do manage to come up with a plot that is large scale for a movie. You know, I mean, yeah. it, the, the, this, this plot has, you know, sort of world-shaking implications as opposed to all the other stories, which are so, of course, essentially located in Gotham City. And again, that's, sometimes that doesn't work. A lot of TV shows, when they do a movie and they try and enlarge it, it, it doesn't work right. But they manage to sort of fit this in. I mean, Batman seems to work quite well wandering around what is essentially the UN and talking with Lyndon Johnson and all these things. I mean, it, it really does. And, and I've said for many years, I was always impressed that, uh, like, and I think I was a dumb kid. I think I, like, literally thought that that was Lyndon Johnson. I was like, wow, they got the president to be in the Batman. Like, no. And his, no. And his beagle there off to the left. Yeah, and his beagle. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it does work. And one of the things that... Um, I always love to, to look at when I watch this movie is the opening scene, the opening theme mm-hmm. and the day glow colors. And it's, I mean, if you take out the part that's Batman and Robin, that thing could pass for like a fifties film noir. Yeah. Cause the color, except for the cut, except for the fact that it's in color, but I mean, it's like neon. I mean, it looks like something Andy Warhol might've created and it's just simply gorgeous. I mean, it's a really, it's a really beautiful movie to look at. I mean, for how silly it all is, it's it's really a pleasure to just stare at. You know, they, it's the colors on the sh- on in the movie and on the show, which we can now enjoy because of Blu-ray and, and everything's been remastered and re-released. Is that I, I you know, I, I assume you the same way. You know, I grew up particularly with the with the show, less so with the movie as far as <laughs> as far as noticing. But on the show, everything for years, I always thought it was more like pastel colors. Because you'd see washed out versions of it, and, and you right. see it today, even now when you see it on on MeTV or any of these other stations, they're not using the the new remastered uh, um, uh, versions of the show. So it seems washed out. But when you watch these things on disc now, both the movie and the show, those colors are so striking. And you're and you're picking, you know, you using Andy Warhol as a description. I mean, it really is kind of a, you know, you're you are talking about a. You know, life imitating art, you know, imitating life because, you know, of course, the whole pop art movement, you know, was, was you know, kind of riffed on comic books and, and comic strips. And this show, you know, kind of turned it back in on itself. And, and everything was kind of riffing off each other from the, you know, early to mid 60s and the, the, that whole scene. So, yeah, they were definitely going for that go-go look, that, that very stylish 1960s look, especially with those day glow colors. Um, and I, and the music is also a part of that, that, you know, Nelson Riddle, who did the, the scoring for the first two seasons and for the movie, the movie, it just adds a whole new level with that jazz soundtrack that they put together with the, the different fight music and the music that they use for the, you know, whenever they're, you know, you've got the bat copter or the bat boat going, um, there is a more cinematic feel and a more pop feel than, than even the show gave you and the show gave you plenty of it. Yeah, uh, you mentioned fights, and this is something I definitely wanted to, to mention. And again, you mentioned earlier about this, the added scenes with Bruce Wayne. One of the reasons Adam West was sort of willing to do this movie was he wanted to have more scenes as Bruce Wayne. And he definitely got those. He gets a long romantic scene with Miss Kitka. 
But then the part that I love, the it's like my favorite part of this movie, is when the villains try and grab him. They try and yeah. beat him up. And he basically single-handedly takes all of them on by himself. Right. And he completely drops the whole millionaire playboy thing and becomes this real, you know, butt-kicking man of action. And it's a really wonderfully choreographed fight scene. And it's got much more of kind of a raggedness to it than the I, I thought of the fight scenes you see in the TV show. But it's it's fun to watch Bruce Wayne be such a butt kicker. That, I really enjoy that. It's true, too, because they also dispense with the whole idea, which they, they played more with during the show itself, which was he could never step out and, and be, you know, and, and you know, take on a villain as Bruce Wayne because somebody might think that he's Batman. Of the 8 million people in Gotham City, they'd think that that one guy might be Batman um, no, it's, it's, yeah, they, they let him do it. It has, it's any, any, any rises to the occasion. Now, I think you're right about the raggedness because he's been tied up and his, his, his tie is loosened. Um, and it is very well choreographed and very well staged. And I also think the more widescreen look of it also helps that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's weird that, uh, Burt Ward as Dick Grayson does not get a lot to do. In fact, he's basically, I think he's only in one scene as Dick Grayson in the whole movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it is really Adam West as, as Bruce Wayne, but mostly it's it's Robin. And, and the same thing goes with uh, with Alfred. Alfred, I think, is only in maybe one or two scenes. He's not used nearly as much as he typically is. So it's all about the villains and Batman and Robin and Bruce Wayne. But you're right, Dick Grayson doesn't, you know, Burt Ward doesn't have all that much to do as Dick Grayson. But it's it's not really noticeable. Um, and the thing that you mentioned also about the, about, about Bruce Wayne and, and what, you know, what Adam West gets to do with Bruce Wayne that's different than, um, you know, I was comparing earlier when I was saying, you know, Christopher Nolan's movies and Tim Burton's movies. The scenes with Adam West as Bruce Wayne don't drag. There's never that sense where, like, okay, you're looking at your watch. Okay, when is he going to be Batman again? Right, right, right. It, it, it's, everything moves forward. There's, there's, everything is done with an economy of storytelling. And strictly from a storytelling standpoint, it's very successful. I mean, if you're going to, you know, argue about the, the the acting and everything being broad and the campiness and and all of those things, even taking all that into consideration, I mean, you are dealing with professionals here. I mean, these are these are people who knew how to tell a story, who knew how to, you know, who knew how to present what they were presenting, and they were also very confident in what they were doing because they'd done it for a season. They were a big hit, and you could tell that they really felt. Like, they knew what they were doing, and it really does come through. It's a very confident movie. Yeah, and uh, one of the things, too, that uh, is amazing uh, in terms of the screenplay uh, is it is an incredibly uh, meme-erific movie. Yes. I mean, the, the some days you can't get rid of a bomb scene yep. where Batman is trying to get rid of this bomb down, down on the, uh, the docks, and everywhere he turns, he's met with nuns and... Uh, uh, what the bunch of fam- family of ducks and all these yeah. other things? I mean, that was one of the earliest internet memes before there was such a thing. I remember seeing on that on the internet in you know the nineties. Yeah, yeah. If, and if you and if you uh, if you go on the web and you put Batman and Shark, and you're just going to find like fifty thousand right. you know, Batman Shark pictures because that's another thing that that people uh, you know that people think of from that movie. Those are probably the two biggest ones. Yeah, what uh, in terms of the series? Uh, because the 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 shark repellent thing, yep. I remember seeing that as a kid and being kind of like, I really don't remember when I saw the movie in the context of when I saw the show. Right. But I remember seeing the movie at some point and thinking, boy, the anti shark repellent—that's pretty goofy—and not realizing that, of course, it's meant to be. I mean, at what point in your life did you watch? Did you did you transfer over? 
Did you watch well, the show and then you went, oh, I see. This is supposed to be funny. Well, see, the, the thing is, is that is that I went full circle on the show, um, you know, because I also was a comic book reader. This wasn't just some show that I watched. I was really and, and anybody who, who, you know, reads or is familiar with 13th Dimension knows just how much I read about Batman in all in all facets as a, you know, not just the show. Um, I was that's the show is how I was introduced to Batman and how I was introduced to comic books. Um, but the older that I became, when I became, you know, an adolescent, I started moving away more and more from, you know, away from the show to the point where I disavowed it completely. Oh, because okay. It was embarrassing. And, you know, the, you know, it had gotten to the, and I really, you know, I was reading comics and I really wanted a serious Batman movie to be made. And I used to write to DC comics cause I didn't understand how the world worked yet. Uh-huh. And I would, and I would, you know, cast the movie. And I remember that the one casting, you know, the one bit of casting that I actually got right when I wrote to them was I, I said, you, you have to cast Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Hmm. And this would have been like 1979, 1978. So I'm always really proud of the fact that they listened. Um, <laughs> so, yes, you could, I, I take full credit for that. But it really wasn't until many years later, really almost into adulthood, that I started to find it again. And... I think part of it was because I had a son and, you know, the show itself wasn't available, but the movie was, and it was something that I could show him. And the next thing I know, I realized why I had fallen in love with it the first time, only with a completely different point of view. And it was, it was no longer, it was, it was no longer just um, goofy or silly or, or satirical. There, there's something about it that was warm. Even though they're, you know, they're 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 taking the piss out of Batman, there's something really warm and fun about the show. And as a kid, you know, it meant a lot to me. So there's something very nostalgic about that. And so I found that it ultimately I came full circle and found that it was something to celebrate. And even as I've come along and and have been writing about the show really for the last couple of years, um, I still find new ways and new entry points to write about the show. Like right now on the website, because it is the 50th anniversary week, uh, January 12th is the 50th anniversary. We're doing a, I realized I'd never done it before, like an actual like ranking of the shows. You know, you had even, you know, you've written a piece for the site that uh, that's going to run on the same day that this podcast is going to be, is is being posted about the movie. And, you know, you even mentioned how you assume that I have written about this movie in great detail. I never really had. <laughs> I, I, it's just for whatever reason, it's always been in passing or as part of something else that I've done, but I've never done a full exploration of the movie itself uh, really until this conversation. I mean, of course I have privately, but you know, in any kind of public way. Uh, and I couldn't even tell you why that is. Cause I love the movie. I absolutely love it. And it's the kind of thing that I could put on in the background and, you know, maybe I'm cleaning the house or maybe I'm writing or maybe I'm doing whatever uh, that I actually can just have it on. And I, it's, I know it by heart. So I can't really say when I started to notice. All I can say is that I kind of went through the same, you know, this basic full circle of loving it, hating it and then loving it again. And I think I might even love it now more than I did when I was a kid because I appreciate it on different levels. And there are different parts of the show now that I love that I didn't understand at the time. Like I hated King Tut when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Now I love King Tut. I think that Victor Buono was, was, was absolutely brilliant. 
And then there are shows that I love then that now really make me cringe. I'm like, man, that, that just wasn't very good. Like the Riddler boxing episode, which I talked about on a different podcast. Uh, where Riddler is John Aston. No, 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 no. This is Riddler. Frank. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm all about, yeah, and you're right. Frank. Yeah, yeah this is when he one, comes, yeah. yeah, he comes back in the third season. That's right. And it's the boxing episode. I loved that one when I was a kid, but I've seen it as an adult. It just doesn't hold up. So it's just, you know, and I've, I've also gotten to, to a really fortunate uh, timing being everything where I've gotten to experience a lot of things firsthand. I've gotten a chance to interview Adam West and Burt Ward and Julie Newmar, and I've ridden in the actual Batcopter. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it still flies. That actual original, there's a, there's a guy uh, named uh, Eugene Nock, and he actually has the original, and it is still flying. It's the one they used in the movie, and they used the same stock footage for the TV show. Um, and I've ridden in it. And I've also, you know, I've never ridden in the, the actual Batmobile they used on the show, but I've ridden in a replica a couple of times. You, could, you wouldn't know the difference. And it's just, I've had these, these uh, my wife says I'm living a charmed bat life. Mm-hmm. And it, it's true. I'm like, I'm, I'm checking off all these bucket list things that, I, that I've been able to do. And I just, I, you know, still knock on wood, uh, uh, hoping it doesn't end. Um, but yeah, what about you? Did you, you know, at what point did you ever disavow the show? Did you ever? No, I mean, I, I it was part of my childhood rerun, uh, you know, lineup growing up. Uh, instead of going outside like a regular kid, I was inside reading comic books, and it was, it was just uh, part of that lineup of like Lost in Space and the Monkeys and Gilligan's Island and the whole thing. And I always loved it. And there was a point where I was like twelve or something, where I was watching an episode, and I just went, you know, wait, huh? I think this is supposed to be funny. And it was that moment, like, I was like, I became a man, you know? I mean, uh, there was that other thing a couple years later, but, I mean, that was really the <laughs> point where I was like, oh, I realized that this, and I just started loving it on a whole other level, and I never didn't love it. I I begrudged it because uh, you grew up around the same thing I did where the comic book movies were just considered such trash that, right. you know, every single article about comic books were always, you know, biff, bam, pow, comic yeah. books are worth money, you yeah. know? I mean, that's all you ever heard, and so... Batman had kind of a lot to answer for, and even I remember in the lead up to the 1989 movie, and I saw news articles about it. And one of my local, the local news station here, talked about the 1989 movie, showing scenes from it, and they referred it to as quote a sequel of sorts to the 1960s TV series. And I was like, no, it's not. It's not as you know. I was so mad because, but at the same time, I always did love it. And. It's funny that you mentioned about the movie uh, in terms of, like, for many years, the movie was the only thing available right. for somebody to buy. Uh, for all the legal, you know, machinations that went on with 20th Century Fox and DC and all that stuff, the movie was the only thing you could get on VHS or DVD for many, many years, which I, I tend to think of maybe a lot of people know the movie and not not as the show so much. Now, of course – They've finally broken through, and now we've got Batman stuff up the wazoo. Yeah. But for many years, it really was just the movie. That was the only thing anybody could find. Um, and so now it's great that you can have you know everything, as, as much Batman as you want to get into. Um, it's interesting that the movie itself was only a moderate hit. It didn't make – it did okay, yeah. Uh, to, which is surprising considering the fact that the movie, that the show was such a phenomenon. Maybe that's the reason. People were like, well, I'm seeing this for free. Why do I need to pay for it? Yeah, um, maybe. And also the timing, you know, it came out in August. You know, they rushed it into production at the end of the season. They, they shot it only in a couple of weeks, two or three weeks. 
they put it right into post-production and it only came out about a month before the second season was going to start. So it happened very, very quickly. Um, also by that time they were already starting, you know, the, the, you know, the, the show started with a big smash, but even by the end of the first season, the ratings were starting to slide. People were starting to get in on the joke. So I think there's probably something to be said for why pay for it. Number one, uh, you know, two, Maybe going to actually do a movie theater to see it was more perceived as kid stuff as opposed, as opposed to something you could joke about in the living room. And also, historically, at that point, it's not quite the same as it is now, um, but August was a dead time for movies also. That was the time of year that you just didn't have big releases. So I think that that probably was, you know, all of those things combined probably uh, had something to do with it. It's a shame too, because I, I, you know, my imagination sort of goes along, and I think, boy, if if the film had been a big hit, like I would have loved to have seen, you know, a second movie with like Mad Hatter, Mister <laughs> Mr. Freeze, Egghead, King, T- like you know, kind of the second tier villains. That would have been so amazing, uh, or maybe would have been the time to finally bring Two Face into the show, or the Scarecrow, with some of my favorite. Like they could have really, or use Batgirl. Uh, that would have been even more amazing. So it, it, it's kind of a shame that the, they never got the chance to do that. Did you did you read the Batman sixty six comic from uh, DC? I did. Yeah. What'd you think? Oh, I thought it was terrific. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was terrific. I mean, I thought it captured the flavor of the show, and uh, I mean, I've I've mentioned this before on you know Facebook and stuff about you know between that and the Wonder Woman seventy seven. Oh, but like, so good. D- d- I wish DC would just do Superman fifty five and do it in black and white and do Aquaman sixty eight, do it, make it look like filmation. I mean, just do them all. Why not? I mean, I, I really thought they captured the Batman thing very well. I, yeah, I would love to see them do like a Christopher Reeve Superman uh, comic. I think that would be great also to take place in that world. But the, the last issue, um, the, the number 30 in print number 30 on, I don't, I can't remember what the digital. Uh, yeah, the numbers are different, yeah. But it's the best of them all. And it is, in a sense, a, in, there, there are a lot of references to the movie in it. It was written uh, by Mike and Lee Allred and, and with art by Mike Allred and Laura Allred doing the colors. And it's the best of them all because it really – there are so many Easter eggs. And it's it's totally kitchen sink. And it, it actually feels the closest to being a sequel to the movie mm. than any of the other issues beforehand um, where you know they were all basically riffs on episodes. And they did start to introduce uh, you know all the other villains like the Scarecrow and Poison right. Ivy and, and some of that, which I thought was great. Um, but that last issue, if you haven't read it yet, read it yet, I, I highly recommend it to you and, and, and to your listeners. Yeah, I haven't gotten around to. It. I got a bunch of them sitting sitting around that I haven't gotten around to. But I do. Yeah, the the uh, the, the two face one that where they got Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, to do was amazing. And yeah. I all I can think of was boy, what a show this would have made. Would have yeah. been an amazing episode. Yep. So yeah, I mean that's I said that's Batman the movie. I mean it's it's a lot of fun. If you love the show, you'll love the movie, uh, and vice versa. It's just a whole lot of fun. It moves at a lightning pace. It's great to see those four villains all together. Um, Caesar Romero, Burgess Meredith, and Frank Gorshin did in fact do another movie together called Skidoo, which is uh, directed by Otto Preminger, who played Mister Freeze. That's um, crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a it's a terrible movie, but it's it's fun to watch because it's just so completely insane. But I mean, it is your rare chance to see all these villains all together and looking super cool. And I love them with their domino masks because you know you can't tell that that's the Joker because he's got his purple domino mask on. Purple mask. I always yeah. thought that was hilarious when they put the penguin in a mask or the Joker in a mask. Um, it's interesting too that about about Catwoman is that 
especially when you watch the movie now and now that you have a chance to watch the shows, you know, the, the shows themselves at will, is really how differently uh, Lee Merriweather and, and Julie Newmar and Eartha Kitt all played the characters. The same character, but they were all different takes. The, the Lee Merriweather in this movie, her version of Catwoman is actually a lot meaner and, and, a, and, and a little bit more spiteful than, than Julie Newmar's version, who's more playful mm. and more, you know, the, 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 when, when Lee Merriweather is playing Kitka, you know, she's obviously trying to play the, the role of the femme fatale and trying to, you know, she's trying to seduce Bruce Wayne. But as Catwoman, she's, you know, she threatens Miss Kitka's life. Bruce, you know, Batman isn't supposed to know they're the same person. Yeah. But she's, she's, she barks at the others on, you know, she slaps the guy in the bar. It's just, it's, a, it's, it's great, but it's a completely different take than, than what you see on the show, uh, both uh, before and after. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I mean, I, th- I think Lou Merriweather does a fine job, but uh, Julie Newmar will always be my Catwoman, and sure. just the idea of seeing her on a big screen in that Catwoman outfit—that <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> and it's and you mentioned about getting the chance to interview Adam West. It's great that they all kind of embrace it now. I think that's a yeah. really sweet thing, and they've all come around, and you know they've lived long enough to for fandom to really embrace them, which is wonderful. That's got to be a really sweet thing to have so many people just be so happy to see you and, and stuff like that. It was just, uh, you know, uh, this little job that you did 50 years ago, you don't think would necessarily turn into anything. And now it's, you know, it's your calling car. That's, that's guy. That's a nice thing. You know? Yeah. I, I think that that's, you know, that's a case of time healing all wounds. Yeah. And the thing is that the people of our generation, um, started to get into decision-making roles you know, in Hollywood and in, you know, in television and in film. So you all, you know, next thing you know, you have Adam West doing voices on Family Guy. Right. And so he starts to enter back into it. And then, of course, the, the explosion of the whole convention um, culture. And, and it, 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 it started to change. And, you, you know, now you've got, you know, all these people who wouldn't hire these guys because of the whole idea of typecasting. Think about that. Nobody gets typecast anymore. No, no. You know, you, get, you, you can play you know, Captain America and then go play something else or go play Thor and then go play something else or, you know, any of these movies, it's, it's, it's a totally different world than it was back then where, where Adam West, basically this was the end of his career. It was his biggest role and it was the end of his career, which is too bad. Yeah. Like I said, it is, it's a nice thing to see him be able to come out the other side of that. It is a really nice, and I'm really excited if they're going to do that animated movie they've been talking about with Adam West and Bird Ward doing their voices. Is that still a thing? It's apparently still a thing. My and this is purely—I have no knowledge of this, but I have—I have pure conjecture with the base thing. I was just thinking about it earlier. In fact, you know, before we started, uh, uh, you know, before we started talking, was that it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't announce something next week on the twelfth, mm. um, because this was around the time a couple of years ago when they announced that they were doing the. Um, the show and putting it out on on, on, DVD, you know, on Blu-ray, it's right, right? Yeah, right. they they do tend to do that. Um, I think they would want to have it out or at least be able to show clips in time for San Diego. Oh, right, right, right. As far as I know, they are still doing it. There hasn't been much discussion of it, so I don't know if it's gone by the wayside. But I think we'll know before too long. Um, you know, but it wouldn't surprise me. I also think that there's a chance that they would re-release the movie uh, also on kind of a because even since they've released the TV show on Blu-ray. They haven't released the movie with like a new remastered version, I think, since before then. 
So I, you know, personally, I would love a Criterion Collection version of it. <laughs> that would be great. But I'll take what film I can. historian. <laughs> yeah. Ex- yes. Exactly. Exactly. Um. So, well, they said that's that's Batman the movie. We could talk about it more and more and more, but we'll we'll just stop here. But, uh, Dan, uh, where can as we yeah everybody already knows, but where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find us first and foremost at thirteenthdimension.com. That's one three th dimension.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, at 13th uh, underscore dimension and also on Facebook. You just type in 13th dimension, you'll find us. Um, and I'm on social media quite a bit uh, through both of those. You know, we, we're, we're pretty active both on Facebook and on Twitter uh, or just come to the site and, and uh, you know, let us know what you think. Yeah, it's a super fun site. I love writing for it. Uh, it's it's a real joy to be to be part of it. And uh, as always, for our show here, I keep saying our, it's my show. Uh, if you want to follow it on Twitter, it's Film and Water Pod on Twitter. The email is Film Water Podcast or Firewater Podcast at Concast.net. And uh, if you mention the show, please use the hashtag FW Podcast. And as Dan mentioned, um, we are. I'm going to be doing a um, review of the Batman movie for the Real Retro Cinema column that I write for 13 to mention. So I'm really looking forward to that. And it'll be awesome seeing what other stuff you have uh, lined up this month for the show. Because, like I said, if if 13thDimension.com had existed in 1968, it was single-handedly would have saved the show from cancellation. <laughs> I mean, it would have confused network executives as to what the hell this internet thing is. But it really would have done it because... You you have burned you you have really beaten the drum for this, for this show and it's kind of an amazing thing so well done sir well well thank you I I uh, I, I <laughs> you honor me uh, well said thank you for doing the show man I really appreciate it we had a lot of fun and uh, I look forward to you coming back thank you for having me I really appreciate it thanks Dan and so thanks everybody for listening and uh, until the next episode that's a wrap. <laughs>